Recorded live in Manhattan's East Village at St. Mark's Church in the Bowery, this is The Poetry Project. Hi, everyone. Thank you for coming tonight. Um, my name is Christine Howe, and I'm the coordinator for the Friday Night Series. Welcome. Human, to be more than. I pity anything stuck in one role. So Chelsea Hodson writes in her lyric essay, Pity the Animal, published by Future Tense Books 2014. The open-ended phrase, to be more than, looms large in Hodson's writing-based projects. What does it mean to exist in one human body, in an object-based world, but to have the capacity to conceptualize a reality beyond the physical? Hodson explores this notion in her conceptual writing-based project, Inventory. Beginning on January 1st, 2013, Hodson methodically cataloged everything she owned on Tumblr. Every day for 657 days, she posted a daily photograph of herself with one of her belongings and accompanied it with, a brief, with brief poetic prose in relationship to the object. In Inventory 648, Spatula, there is a photograph of Hodson holding a silver spatula to her head like a telephone as her eyes drift towards the right. The spatula, though clean, shiny, and obvious, appears like an alien specimen in Hodson's hand. Below the picture, she writes, regarding claw marks, I take and consume and imbibe and work for nothing. I watch the days accumulate and form a face in the moon. What was I doing again? Was I wrapped up in curtains, letting the lamp get hot? Was I looking at the eclipse with my cardboard glasses? Night redacted, night taken, I cannot be accounted for. On October 19th, 2014, the day the project was completed, Hodson read inventory in its entirety in the Imagine Science Film Festival. The text took over seven hours to perform and was filmed, live-streamed, and archived by the Marina Abramovic Institute. Hodson's writings show us what it means to be more than, more than your possessions, more than your words, more than your reality. How much can a body endure, she asks, in pity the animal, almost everything. Chelsea Hodson is the author of two chapbooks, Pity the Animal by Future Tense Books and Beach Camp, published by Swill Children in 2010, a collaborator with the Marina Abramovic Institute's Immaterial and a 2012 Penn Center USA Emerging Voices Fellow. Her essays have been published in Black Warrior Review, Volume uh, Volume 1, Brooklyn, The Lifted Brow, Sex Magazine, Sundog Lit, and elsewhere. She lives in Brooklyn, New York. Please welcome first-time reader to the project, Chelsea Hodson. Thank you, Christine. I've always wanted a fancy bio like that. Hi, everyone. Thanks for coming. So I was going to read two things. Um, One was a part of an essay I'm working on, and the second was part of Pity the Animal, my chapbook. So the essay I'm working on is called Some Men. I lived with men who had heads full of violence left over from childhood. 
They draped American flags over floral print couches to hide the blood. The brown spots served as proof of their hands, their stitched up pasts, made up morals. I'd ask them to tell me again how the blood got there. They loved retelling that story. Some men were bad, but they were mine. And perhaps that was never true. Some men could not belong to any woman. That's why I loved them. They roamed my planet like ancestors. Some men left me in caves without food or water. I liked it. Some men claim they are powerless over their ghosts. I had no choice, they say. And it is this which keeps them free. Some men know better, but don't think of themselves as on paper. Men who ride around town like royalty, who look at cops straight in the eye. Men whose fathers were betrayed by cops, killed by them. Some men stayed up all night writing their names on walls. The metal ball clacked against its cage, and then the stolen can shushed the night. In the morning, another man pulled a dripping white roller out of a bucket and painted over the names in a couple of seconds. One building for one night, that's all some men get. Some men expect only the shape of a woman. Any complexity comes as a surprise or a disappointment. I could be simple, so I was. I baked an apple pie and admired it for hours. Some men ate two slices, standing up, grinning, then pointed to their backpacks, said, I have to deliver that. I asked, drugs? and they left. I gathered secrets like little pieces of survival, and I was so healthy. Some men saw me touching a fur coat, said they'd buy it for me. They wanted to remind me of how I could be changed. I could be a woman that wears a fur coat. I could be a person that falls in love with a man who can never love a woman the way he loves money. Arrested for stealing a fur coat, Tony, the outlaw of the 1946 film, The Strange Love of Martha Ivers, says, I missed a bus once and I was lucky. I wanted to see if I could be lucky twice. I kept testing my luck. Were the police following me too? I left through alleys in case they were out front. Would I be stopped one day? I went through a mental checklist of events as if they were groceries, decided I would eat my truth if asked. I was held by men and being dropped from that grasp was unimaginable. Some men were resistant to breaking me. They thought I was too good, but I begged not to be. I rejected smoking and stopped drinking as much so I could assign longing as my first vice. 
My admiration of the men was relentless. I clocked in to track my hours. The little pieces of me broke off and made their own mistakes. I knew it was love because I'd never felt wilder. Some men cried in the night, admitted their pasts as if the night was their trial. Maybe it was. I did everything to get to that small core of tenderness. Any hurt I experienced was temporary or put away for later. Heartbreak was used against me as a weapon, but that too dulled with time. I paced in the heat as if I could sweat the badness out, but it was lodged like a thermometer inside my red meat dreams some men felt but did not follow. I became obsessed with summoning. I called out every name I knew just to see if they would come. Some men drove me home in a powder blue Cadillac convertible. The guns on their hips glittered under streetlights. We drove past the hotel where John Dillinger was captured. It was Arizona. It was night. I never drove. I was always along for the ride, taken to wherever the car was going. Every decision was made for me, and this allowed me my private myth of innocence. The plainclothes cops were as relentless as the mornings, always gaining on the car. I could be questioned at any moment, but I assumed a lifetime of unmarred records and a ponytail would be enough to save me. It probably would have been. In The Strange Love of Martha Ivers, young rebellious Martha says to her aunt, you don't own the whole world. And her aunt responds, enough to make sure you're always brought back to me. My return was like that, inevitable. I never got far. Describing the pull some men had on me, I emptied an imaginary rope out of my stomach, kept unloading it. I come from a long line of crying women, driving trucks while breastfeeding newborns. My grandmother said she lined the walls with Depression-era melons, pink and green, and shooed the raccoons outside. Some men's light was immeasurable, their violence blinding. A painter looked at me the wrong way and someone asked, how'd you like to make art without your hands? Every time I tried to take a photo of anyone, they'd look away or appear as an orb, as if I'd dreamt them up. But a dream does not open doors at night does not get into bed smelling like spray paint and women, does not leave pools of blood on the floral print couch. A dream cannot be changed or removed, only woken up from. I wrote a story, but I wrote it wrong. I made him the villain. I felt if I was wounded enough, I could blame someone else 
but as a willing participant, I woke up so in love, so guilty. Badness sucked the water out of me, and that was almost all of me. Some men were in love, but not fully. Wanted a mother, but not really. Wanted a whore, but not all the time. Wanted me in the room, but ignored me. And eventually, I fell in love with that ignorance. Or maybe that's what I loved all the time. The word honey, some men wanted tattooed on their necks. I asked why. They said, to remember everyone I ever called honey. I said, it was a bad idea. But really, I wanted to be the only one called honey. I wanted to be the sweetness they kept in their throats. Some men never asked anything of me. They accepted my presence, but barely. Favors were given to me with the expectation that I would return them someday. So is a history book a favor to men? It feels like it could be. Some men never loved me, and I didn't care. Their names sounded like answers, and I used them as such. Now I'm going to read a few pages from Pity the Animal. Inside an old library book I requested from off-site storage, I found a scrap of paper with typewriter text that said, pity the animal that has no animal in it. Written inside another library book, mutilation noted. How much can a body endure? Almost everything. When I still lived in Arizona, I sat down on a tattered futon at the house party, and my blonde friend handed me a bottle of blue Gatorade. There's vodka in it, she said. She was the kind of woman that served drinks at other people's parties. The vodka gave strength to my desires. Everyone watched. I was the last person to leave the party. As I buttoned my coat, the host of the party touched his beard, laughed, and said, no, no, no. I wrapped my scarf around my neck, picked up my bike leaning against the living room wall, and walked toward the door. Stay, he said, and he wasn't asking. He took my bike from my hands, placed it back against the wall, kissed my blue lips, pressed me against the futon. He got completely naked. I had all my clothes on, even my boots. And with my head against the wooden frame, he thrust himself into my mouth until he came, then fell asleep holding me in place. I stayed beside him for hours in the dark room, not sure how to get up. And though he did force himself on me, the truth is I stayed at the party waiting for something to happen. Everyone at the party left and still nothing had happened. He wasn't a stranger. I knew he was a bad man. I'd known that for a long time. That's why I stayed. 
I spent so much of my youth waiting for something to happen. And unsupervised, I had my choice of dark rooms. I knew which rooms were bad, and I entered them anyway. It was a sort of power. When a colorful object is seen by the human eye, it is really not the color of the object which is seen, but the colors reflected from the object. I go to a party, I am responsible. A woman becomes a girl, becomes an animal, becomes an object. Is there anywhere left to go? As a young girl, I got up and walked to the bathroom during the Ringling Brothers Circus. When I came out of the stall, I saw a reporter I recognized from television. She leaned against the sink, applied pink lipstick with a precision I admired. She noticed me and said, hi, sweetie. When I returned to my seat, I watched a man lead tigers to their assigned positions. I'm tired of the line that someone drew down the middle of me. He split me into halves and said, stay symmetrical or else. Or else what? I asked. No answer. And yet I obeyed that command my whole life. In March, I stood in a crowd at two in the morning waiting for elephants. The Ringling Brothers elephants were scheduled to emerge from the Queen's Midtown Tunnel. And I felt like a child standing there alone on 34th Street. The six beasts approached holding each other's tails with their trunks, a stifled yet efficient parade to Madison Square Garden. I took a photo of them walking in front of a Bank of America. I started running alongside the roadblocks to keep up. On the dating website Seeking Arrangement, I exchanged messages with a handsome older actor who told me he had a German accent. I imagined it telling me what to do. A year later, I saw him on an online banking commercial. It was not a speaking role, but he pretended to work on his laptop in a cafe. The voiceover said, you feel safe, but are you too safe? At a Yellowstone campsite entrance, the ranger wanted my warned my father of the recent grizzly bear sightings. My mother turned to look at my younger sister, terrified of bears. With her headphones on, eyes closed, we drove into the campsite. And that night, in the yellow tent, I awoke to large, searching footsteps. Did you hear him? I asked my parents the next morning, and my sister began to cry. Hunter, Joseph Delmont. It is always wise to tie a bright-colored ribbon around your bear's neck or on his leather collar so that thoughtless sportsmen, boys, and farmers of the neighborhood will recognize it as a pet and not run it through with a pitchfork or bullet. A friend once told me, that top button isn't fooling anyone, you know. A man once said, as soon as I saw your top button, 
I knew you were a slut. My top button, my protector, my signal. A fire commands its audience. A flare in the middle of the road brings a man right to me. At the mid-Manhattan library, I saw a girl I recognized from Arizona. When I went to school with her, she always had her head in books as she walked, so it made sense to see her browsing the stacks. We had several classes together, but we were not friends, and I found myself walking to the library's exit so she wouldn't see me. In her, I recognized the meek reflection of someone I used to be. I walked away from that person. Joseph Delmont, under no temptation should a hunter's last shot be fired at a retreating beast. Human, to be more than. I pity anything stuck in one role. While technicians prepared red, white, and blue explosives along the Hudson River, I snuck through a Brooklyn turnstile with my friend so we wouldn't be late for the party. The police were waiting for us on the other side. One cop said, how'd you like to spend the 4th of July in jail? Which was stupid, because we all knew girls like us were never punished, not really. We stuffed our $110 tickets into our back pockets and watched the fireworks from a famous singer's rooftop on the Lower East Side. I wanted to talk to the famous singer, but she kept gliding around on roller skates. I didn't want to be the reason she stopped. The man in the bandit mask kept going as I watched him pee at the party in May. I loved the way he unbuckled his belt, unzipped, and pulled his cock into his hands, proud, casual. He had his back to me, but I looked around him to watch. He asked, want to hold it? And I did want to. I wished his question was, want to know what it's like to be the one that enters? Because I do. And I wish that knowledge was as simple as holding a man in my hands. I want to see my desire as a protrusion leading me into dark rooms. And if I can't have that, then I can attempt to reduce myself to the most vulnerable object possible. Either I await instruction on how to be a dutiful thing, or I am the explorer leading this ship, or I am a piece of luggage holding other belongings. I take up barely any space at all. Thank you. In the past couple of weeks, I've fallen into this YouTube hole of watching a lot of dark ride ride-throughs. For those of you who don't know what a dark ride is, it's basically an indoor amusement park ride where riders and guided vehicles traver, travel through specially lit scenes that typically include animation, sounds, and special effects. Some of the most famous examples are Pirates of the Caribbean and it's a small world, both at Disney World. 
So the reason I'm bringing this up is because I was recently scrolling through Jackie's Tumblr, and this reading is not sponsored by Tumblr. Um, um, her Tumblr is called Ballerina's Dance with Machine Guns, which I first encountered several years ago, and I thought immediately, oh my god, I'm going on a dark ride through Jackie's psyche. The realization was a little jarring. At first, it almost felt voyeuristic to look this closely into someone else's mind. But because the internet basically brings out my dark side and makes us all voyeurs, I kept scrolling and scrolling, and what struck me most about her blog was a sense of radical vulnerability, a phrase originally coined by Raul Zurita when describing the work of Valerie Meher, or a willingness to show all the body's leaks, cracks, and holes, which on the surface seem to, com seem to compromise the structure of our existence, but inevitably make us who we are. Wang's blog is like an expansive poetics of sounds, visuals, and freeform language that gives the viewers a glimpse into her being, in, into her being in all its strength and in all its weakness. She unapologetically chronicles her feelings and thoughts, presenting her mind for the whole world to see. I am humbled when I read her writing. The time is never right to tell someone in prison that someone on the outside has died, she writes on February 19th, 2013, and in an excerpt from an untitled poem written on March 16th, 2013, she writes, sometimes there is a reverse memory of death, a father asleep in the slant, and a daughter, condemned, walks up and down the same tree. In a more recent text, The Future Between Us, published on Fanzine, she writes, Outside, the air of apocalypse is all around, and I am walking beneath millions of satellites. In the distance, I see a familiar house. It is a life-size dollhouse where my old friend is raising her little brother. She tells me I can sleep on the couch. For Wang, her writing is not about the past or the future, or the future but the perpetual in-between spaces that have no borders, a dark ride without an end. Jackie Wang is a queer poet, essayist, filmmaker, performer, and prison abolitionist based out of Cambridge, Massachusetts. Her work has been published in Lies, Action Yes, Pank, Delirious Hem, Diagram, The Brooklyn Rail, October, the Semiotext Whitney Biennial pamphlet series, and other spaces. She is currently working on a book or two. I now summon another first-time reader at the project, Jackie Wang. Hi. Well, thank you, Christine, for that lovely introduction. And thank you, Chelsea, for your amazing reading also. And thank you to the Poetry Project for having me here. Um, Christine, I think you hit on some topics that are relevant to my reading tonight. I'm going to be reading slash singing three pieces about being liminal, um, being between girl and creature, or girl and plant. Um, if you are also liminal, maybe it will be familiar. And if you're not, maybe you'll experience some liminality tonight. Um, okay, let's get this chaos later rolling here.
is titled Me Equals Girl Plus Tree. My body surface coterminous with your light sky. I was dragging your bones to the beyond. Land, earth, low in the veil, when the whirlwind deracinated the entire forest, now naked creatures scatter and I drop your remains. I'm sorry, I just had to leave. The bareness made me feel criminal, exposed like someone who was done, done wrong, found hiding beneath the canopy when everything is uprooted and it's just me in the field, caught. Now, as a person who is seen, I sneak away, but leave your bones. I have reverence for the dead, but the dead are dead. I should not die for you, for I am still alive. Don't be ridiculous, I'll come back. I will retrieve your bones and administer a proper burial, but today the sky's ablaze and I must run. The rivers are falling in on me. I must get out of the dale, set sail toward another fate, but fear not, I'll return, I'll come back. Your bodily remains, fulgurations and lightning smash, becomes a thing of many parts glass, hair, and sand, stone, grass, and earthness, material fusion make a vitreous thing. And I wonder, I let this happen? Let body become a scary book weight, sacred or sacrilegious? Lightning meet my bodily remains and make me one with the others through fusion, the will to split fingers, bite them off, break and open and sew it all together to cauterize, to assemble like a novice gardener who pulls limbs off trees and grafts them to the little girl. She wants to become a tree. She wants the Bodhi to burst through her abdomen and sink its snaky roots into the subtropical grounds of southern Yunnan. All my clothes go ill-fitting. Nothing in my closet will accommodate my six branch arms, and my blouse looks at me like I'm a girl tree behemoth. Well, I am. Obsidian daggers from every direction. I must get out. But how's a tree to move? Use your girl parts. I pull up a root leg and whip everyone blocking my exit, stumble into the Paris streets to weird looks and racial slurs, and try to ask how I can get to the Trans-Siberian Railroad. I must go east, then south toward Yunnan, so south I almost touch Burma with my tentacles. The Bodhi drops roots like silkworm threads, and I am cocooned to you, attached but deeper than that. Some call them strangler figs. Airborne seed carried by the wind lodges itself in the pit of a palm. Years later, you could barely see the palm. I looked through the tangle of root branches and saw the corpse. At the center, there is a corpse, 
Life drains from the host and the Bodhi sits with a smile, proud and plump. But it's not like that with me. We, girl and tree, merge without the slow death dance when the strangler wraps you tighter and tighter until your lungs explode and your bones are crushed. The fig is looking for a center a sturdy structure to rest her body against, but she takes it too far. But with me, she cannot take from me what she has taken from everyone else. I make my boundaries clear, the right to my own light, the right to sometimes sleep sideways, twitching in my own iric bliss. I got up. I wanted to eat but I didn't need to because I was generating my own energy. Photosynthesis was enough. Everything was taken care of, but I was itching for taste. You remember the film with the face in the willow, the wise tree woman who whispers reassurances? I'm not that kind of tree. A bumbling mess, I don't sound like the wind. My reverberations carry throughout the forest, makes the monsters have wild dreams and wake up all big-hearted and benevolent. But you, dear gentle monster, still must contend with those brutish humans who will gun you down as soon as you extend a fuzzy paw. A conciliatory handshake, a gesture of kindness, they don't care. They'll chop you up and stuff your head and mount it on the wall and sell your insides to science. My creatures, my creatures, you must stay low in the forest, stay away from the humans, rest beneath my branches. I will cradle you, hum while you sleep so you wake up like 30 years straight of intense therapy, changed, totally psychically reorganized. Do not fear. I'll bring you tea eggs and baozi. Just stay in the forest. I will send you dreams. Just sleep. Sleep as much as you can. Do not dwell on the fear you have caused the humans and will continue to cause when those who dwell beyond the forest look at your face. Shh. Sleep. I give you a face that causes no fear. Stay away from the water and windows at night. You must trust me, my fragile monsters. Am I that monster? I'm afraid of my own face. I hide beneath wormy wolf hair and hope not to be seen. So I sleep and I catch her special wavelength. Hope for lit mind in the night hours when the stillness covers everything and I wonder if life continues somewhere, perhaps on the other side of the world where there is day. That is a comforting thought. You talk into your pillow to break the silence. The silence in the black blanket of night closes in on you your ears go all underwater feeling and you black out, unwilling to wrestle with the fallow night. 
This is why people fantasize about being glued to other people. When my Siamese twin goes unconscious, I freak out. Don't leave me all alone with my thoughts. We're codependent, but there's no way out of it. We share organs. How could we ever be apart, lead separate lives? Summon the lightning, the conifer rives. loading I'll just uh, say a few words so I took the bus here today from Cambridge um, the go bus I'm not particularly fond of the go bus but it's it leaves from Cambridge and I had my first um, pooping on a bus experience today have you have any of you done this before it's pretty weird because there's no liquid in the bowl and so it's just kind of like I don't know. It was weird. It just like went through the hole. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but yeah, I just thought it would make the uh, rest of the bus ride more comfortable. So, um, but yeah, I mean, it's good to know that you can still have new experiences when you're 26. That's the moral of the story. Okay, so let's turn. Interesting. So this is um, a poem that I used as the basis for a film called Deliverance of a Serpent Daughter Possessed by an Alphabet of Funeral Flowers. They're coming to take us all away, I'm telling you. Okay. The way you look when you are asleep or the way sleep looks at you you're coming out of the water, and the water is where the pieces of you come together before you are born afraid. People aren't born afraid. They're made by fear. Every time you told her to put your, her crayons away, to put the purple crayon away because you've never heard of an indigo marred physiognomy, marred strokes of what looks so sweet to the one who has not yet formed fear. Out of ocean graves, she is given a half chance to live. She's dead, no, she's not dead. She's the place where death becomes the opening of something holy in its dismemberment. Who was meant to die, but instead 
slept prostrate on the sidewalk in the city while the city was awake and woke while the city slept. Ambulatory nights alone, crawling toward the moon. We might be saved this way by dint of our longing to be free and in doing so, freeing what we touch. My slip disc is the price of being free and by free, I mean not in search of money. Every free person knows they are walking into their grave. But time doesn't need us. The forest doesn't need us. The crown needs a head, but it need not be yours. You haunt the forest of spines the way the spine haunts you in the back, delaying transmission to the legs. You become more than one when your body is in revolt because your body becomes a hostile foreigner. You become three, the one who is not away, the body that fights itself on your behalf. The ocean gives talismans to the sailors it loves. It is you. You'll be the one to build the world never meant for you. You'll build a world out of scraps of hair, sugar, liquefied flesh, and every pebble you palmed and could not forget. The legend is in the language that left when you needed it most. And now you are on your way to the sky by way of the mouth. Nocturnal girl has lost her itinerant lover, the wind. She'll come back for me. They'll come back for me. One day they'll all come back for me. She lost her teeth on the way to being born. She's under the claw of the creatures she made, talons that lift her by the hair and drop her on an island shaped like your face. All those nights alone, doodling in words to keep herself warm. Eight years old, there was so much time to be famous, more to get old. What's old? You don't know old. After the body, there's the birth of your shadow in a petal as large and potent as Earth itself. The insane girls will miss the way you waltz toward death. Bodies from the ground, there are so many bodies coming up from the ground. It's your secret. Being alive is your secret, and secrets always ruin the ones who keep them. We sleep on the shore like ruined people, braiding our dreams into a single knot. Bound, when you're bound to me, I can no longer be afraid of myself, but instead afraid of you. I come at the poem recklessly, 
some peculiar way to be a sentence in the letting go, peregrinations of the sentence that outruns you. It wakes up where you left off when you fell asleep. She's waiting for her hour. She's waiting for the moment the cottonwood seeds blow across the sky. The seeds are her signal. Here on earth, she waits for the moment the sea is ready to take her back. They're a pair of old dykes who were always supposed to be together. I had a dream and right when I woke up, I didn't know if it happened. The world happens. We could be happy post-apocalypse, just us, surviving ourselves with laughter while everyone else is afraid. The way I am in the world is a game. Some days I'm wherever the words put me. Me? I had a case of not being able to get up. The staircases grew around me. I grew fearful of what I knew I could not mount. I could not get up. I was covered in windows, whispering, get up, whipping me. The house tried to whip me awake for some privacy. Are you worried about your words? Hey, do, Ernst what they wish. The words will do what they wish to what you don't understand. The way a rose falls asleep on the moon or the amount of blood you lose before dying. Seeds blown across her window became the secret of how to begin. She held coins in her coat pockets all winter, waiting for the song to spill out of the forest. For the forest was the father that left her, and the ocean was mother's love so wide it could drown her. I can. I return to where I go, not knowing where I am or who I am, but I know my people were not born afraid. What creatures are you of the night of bird and water and arboreal eyes, liminal limbs? You are the truth of waiting. It closes not. What creature comes, leaves, the crest ego scone. The creature who comes, leaves, trampled ceiling with alien eyes. What creatures become when out of water, the kind of person who falls asleep on the sidewalk, dreaming the waves of her youth. When the creature comes, we won't have her. She's here, having herself. She's made more of herself just to spite us. We all exist, but some of us exist less. Exist for our right to fall asleep alone. We are a nation of unreported rates of alien rape, but rates of sightings in the sky abound.
Between ocean and sky, there's so much space. Space, 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 space. They say you're too sky for water and too wet for heaven. There's no crime like the crime of being liminal. I understand the relationship between gunfire and rain. When it fires, someone rains. And the hot air turns cold, pauses in search of a rapprochement. Beyond the sky, there's a way to leave me out of this. I am the child saint who smells of cut grass and myrrh. I am what is holy in my incurability, my way of bending into the blue fire, holding the book. In every door of my body, there is a violent egg, powdered enough to receive the men of the streets. The war is the tempo you force on me with your Cesara. Your face is in every part of my body. I grow, I grow and grow and grow, and am grown by the pieces of myself cut off and buried in the ground. God will harvest me, crush me dead. I don't care because I was born dead, but just silver or alive enough to have a mouth for God's root. The dead girl has her own alphabet made of funeral flowers. The way she wears her rose crown with shame. Some lived the sea path and did not miss touching. Let me go to sleep. The world won't let me go to sleep, but won't let me be awake. Liminal, liminal, liminal. One by one, I'm not free. My fear is bottomless, takes away my blossom language. Could being alive be called a curse? It was a curse to be alive, but I made my splendor while everyone slept. It was my secret. last one, um, it's a song. It requires a little bit of audience participation. I just need uh, how many volunteers do I need? So you're willing to do it. Okay, so two, more, two volunteers. All you have to do is like either hold one of these or twirl this. No one? No one wants I mean, if this is fine, this will work. If uh... okay, yeah. Are you gonna do it? Cool. 
Poetry Project has promoted, fostered, and inspired the reading and writing of contemporary poetry since 1966. Consider supporting us by checking out a reading, becoming a member, or donating at poetryproject.org.